Yeah, it's good to be here. It's great to, um, you know, be have another, um, be able to open up the Lord's Word again. So, um, I've said this in the past, like a lot of the times, like one of the great reasons that I find the Bible believable is, as, um, is just the amount of times that the human, like the human heroes, or we, we should probably call them supporting human heroes, because we know really know who the real human slash God hero is in the Bible. The supporting human heroes, how um, they're portrayed in like their, their stark ugliness of their life and all, all their great deeds side by side. <laughs> like, you know, it's like that, um, you mentioned that artist in a sermon a little while ago. Was it Rembrandt, Joe? Rembrandt? The guy that paints himself really honestly. Yeah, yeah. was that him, Joe? Fix him up. Yeah, like grey hairs, wrinkles, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so he's just like mapped his, mapped his life. That's cool. Yeah, so it's like him just filling it, like also recording like his self-deprecating kind of details in his, in his portraits. That's, that's great. So in the Bible, all these characters, like, you know, you name them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Peter, Paul, whoever, right, they're all recorded with their um, like warts out on display, so to speak. So, this, to me, this is, this is just my, me personally, but this makes the Bible relatable for me. It like looks at these big heroes of faith and all the terrible and the, the weird things that they did in their life and lets me sort of stand there with them and go, wow, I can be used by God powerfully too because my life's trash in some ways as well. So, as it is today, also for our everyone's second favourite shepherd king, King David. We're going to take a second pass at him today as part of our mega. Lukey teed him up, teed him up well last week for um, uh, drawing out that accolade that God gives David of being a man after his own heart. Um, like, oh man, imagine that. Like, imagine God saying, hey, you you're a man after my own heart. Like, what better, like, what greater honour is there? Hey, yet, um, we're going to see, though, with David, that he definitely does have warts out on display in his life. So, we will see this morning, okay, this is the, this is the, the situation that we're at. While King David's mighty military is away, overthrowing foreign city walls and conquering the walls of his own inside his own personal heart are crumbling, all right, and he's giving in, he's losing a battle to sin and temptation, okay, so that's where we're going to go today, in Mega, so let's start reading 2 Samuel, um, chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 1, in the spring of the year, the times when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. All right, so wet, winter, miserable winter weather over there is over. Kings and armies go out to increase their realm, increase their area of influence um, against the other nations around them. Yet, instead of travelling with his army... David stays back home and he just sends his bloodthirsty general 
Joab as, as the head, sole head of the army. Verse 2, it happened. It happened. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and he said, and, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, then she returned to her house. It, it happened. It's like this big event, it just gets referred to as it. It happened, this most major warts of stuff-ups, it happens late one afternoon when David's like, either he's had like the megarest sleep in or he's been having a bit of an extended nana nap in the afternoon and he's walking around, he's, he's been sort of in this lazy mood. It happened. Now, I don't want to make a big deal about this because, but I think, uh, and I don't want to go off track here, but I, I just want to say something about, just to us blokes, because I know what it's like, it's not good for us to be lazy. It's not good for us to be lazy. Like, we, we're not built to, like, sort of laze around, taking extended breaks or mooching around or not. Like, my granddads and my dad, they used to say this a lot to me growing up, and I never really understood it, except I realised that in my adult life, when I was in a lazy mood, like, I would fixate on things I shouldn't, I'd think about things I shouldn't, I'd do things I shouldn't, all right? When I was in these lazy moods, like I, I feel like for us as blokes, like with testosterone pumping through us and whatever, we're made to work, work, work hard, go to bed, spent. Anyway, and I think it's this sort of laziness that has happened in, in David's life that is the top of this slippery slope that we're going to slide down with David, okay? He doesn't go campaigning with his army. He hangs around in his fortress in the comforts of home. He's, he's, he's taking it easy. He's, he's not working. He's, he's taking it easy. And this, I, I emphasize, with, I, like I sympathize or empathize, I always get those two mixed up. He, I, I get this with him because like, this is like a, a sort of a trigger for this bad behavior here. So here it goes, okay, he's walking along his fortress walls and he looks out and he sees a woman uh, bathing herself. <laughs> hey. So a male, for women in the audience who might not get a male's mind, when a male sees an, an, a naked female body, it's like, all like New Year's Eve fireworks going off at once, you know, just <laughs> you're all laughing, but you know, okay, and, and this is what's happening here. So he sees, and now from here on, assuming this is just him being accidental about this, um, he's got two choices. One, he just turns around, looks the other way, tries to clear his mind, thinks of something else, confess it, just move on. Or two, stop, look, linger, leer, 
let her body take over his mind and over his thoughts. So what does David do? He's in this compromised, lazy-ish kind of position and his mind begins to fixate on the body of Bathsheba. All right, takes, she takes over his mind like this drug kind of thing, so much so that he begins asking around who she is, like, do you know who, who she, the woman that lives down there, like, who is she, where is she? Like, he's doing the equivalent of, like, the Facebook stalking on her, okay? He's finding, and, and more and more, he finds out, okay, she is the daughter of Eliam, okay, Eliam's one of his mighty men, so but he's fixating on her so much that that isn't, isn't a problem. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, another one of your mighty men, um, but he's still fixating on her. That's not even an issue. He's sort of like past this point. He's, he's completely wrapped up in this woman from just seeing her. And so he's been turning around and around in his head until he gets to this point where he, he needs, needs more of her. All right? He, cra- he craves her, so he sends his messengers to go and collect her for him. Now, think about this from Bathsheba's perspective for a little bit. Like, what is it like when a king's messengers come to collect you and this king being someone that your father respected, that your husband respects and fights for, is fighting for now currently? What do you do? And up until now, he's had a really good reputation. He's not a shady dude at all. This is, this is King David. What does she do when you're summoned to the king? What option did she really have? So it's not clear actually as to whether she's complicit in this sleeping with David or whether David's raped her or, or whatever. But one thing's clear here that this whole thing is sort of sparked and carried along by David. All right? He, is, he initiates it, he perpetuates it, and it's, it's, it's fully within the king, David's ability to stop if he wanted to. So anyway, they do their deed and Bathsheba returns to hers and her husband Uriah's house. So, whew, David's gotten away with it. Phew, he's seen He's lusted after her, he's sent for her, he's slept with her, he's conquered her, and he's gotten away with it. Verse 5, let's read. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Oh, Uh uh-oh. David hasn't gotten away with it, has he? There's, There's an evidence of what's happened here. Like this new little life has formed out of their secret sex. All right, and David's got to think fast here because people know that she, Bathsheba came to his, his, let's call it chambers, throne room, whatever we want to call it. Her belly's going to start growing. Your eyes away at battle for how long? How many months? People are going to end up doing the maths, they're going to put two and two together and they're going to work it out. So what's David going to do? Does he come clean? Nah, let's not bother with that yet. Let's just, let's just try and cover it up a little. I know, I know what I'll do. I'll bring Uriah back, 
okay, so that he can go home, you know, him and Bathsheba can, um, you know, sleep together because, you know, he's been away for, for in the army for so long. I'm sure that's the first thing on their minds when he gets home. Um, and, and my child will just get sort of passed off as his and happy days, problem solved. That's what, that's what we'll do. So anyway, David sends word to his, his loyal, bloodthirsty general, Joab, mate, send Uriah home. But Uriah comes home and Uriah is, he's honourable. Why? Why have you got to be so honourable, Uriah? Verse 11, David says, look, mate, go, go, go sleep in your own bed, go back to your wife, you know, you guys have a couple of days off before you go back. But verse 11, Uriah says to him, the ark and Israel and Judah, they dwell in booths or tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord, they're all camping out in the open field. Shall I go then down to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Oh, Uriah, why do you have to be so honourable? I'm trying to cover up my mistakes here. What are you doing? So you can imagine the conscience pricking that David's going through here now, hey. Like Uriah, this guy who's putting his life on the line for David, being away from his wife for all his time, comes home and he's got... And he's, he's doing, saying and doing all these honourable things, yet here David, he's betrayed Uriah's trust, he's used Uriah's wife for his own pleasure while he's been gone. This is a terrible situation. And then it gets worse because David then tries further to make Uriah concede by throwing a big feed for him and getting him drunk in the hope that then he will you know, lower his standards a little bit, that he'll get rid of this stupid honourable sort of thing that's standing in his way. But Uriah, but even a drunk Uriah remains more honourable than David was. So what's David doing? You could imagine, like, it's like he's got this, the weight of this secret and this sin that he needs to cover up Yet then he's got. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Do I really need to kill him off? Oh yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, maybe. So, verse fourteen, chapter eleven. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So, after having no success getting Uriah drunk, sleeping with his wife to cover up David's own pregnancy or whatever, he goes to this plan C and sends to just, he's just going to use Uriah as like a meat shield to, and, and he's going to die so that then David can take Bathsheba into his house and hopefully no one you know, notices anything and everything's all back to normal. So Uriah goes back to the front lines fighting. He goes back to Joab. Here, General, here's this letter. Little does he know, his whole way back, this letter that he's holding is actually his own instructions to kill for his own death, like his own death warrant. And so, verse 16, as Joab was besieging the city... He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. So, you know, brave enemy soldiers, they'd come out and they'd fight. 
Verse 17, And the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So, Joab then sends a messenger back to David to report of how the battle, how the battle went. And he said, he's saying to the messenger, look, if, if he starts getting his knickers in a knot about, the, about how close we got to the wall and we were under archer fire and whatever, and he starts rambling on with that crazy story about that, that um, massive Helga Hulk of a woman that threw a millstone off and crushed that Abimelech guy when we were besieging Febez, then just, just tell him, get to it quickly, just tell him quickly that Uriah's dead. It's what he wanted. And just, just tell him that Uriah's dead. And so when the messenger brings news to David, he's, David's not really even upset about them getting close to the wall because he knows Uriah's dead and he's happy, with, uh, happy enough with that. And he consoles Joab then, sends word back to him. He says, mate, look, it's okay. People die in battle. Good job. And so Bathsheba then grieves her dead husband and after her grieving period's over, then David brings her into a house into his house, their son's born. Whew! <laughs> In the clear again. It was a bit of a long road, but we got there. He successfully covered up his sin. Problem solved. Crisis averted. Mischief managed. No, no, absolutely not. Verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Oh man, this is a pretty warty story, isn't it? Like when you think about, think about it, try and, and sometimes when we read Bible stories, we don't actually put ourselves in there and, and take it in fully. But I hope you got some sort of idea of just sort of as we went through the story, I hope you get some sort of idea of what actually happened. The betrayal that you know, David betrayed so many people in this and he's tried to cover it up and he's ended up murdering people. Like, it's a terrible thing that's happened. And if this was my, like, if this happened in my life and this was put in the most widespread book of all time for all of humanity to read, I'd be mortified, wouldn't you? Like, imagine, imagine this. And I know that I've done some crazy, like, disgusting things, like things that have gone through my mind or things that I've done and, and whatever, but... Um, but I don't think I've gone to the lengths that David has. I haven't killed anybody even. Yet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Tim. Take heed, every man take heed lest he fall. Um, like, you know, and I'm, so I, I see myself and like there's a bit of pride in me. I, I stand up and I go, whoa, I'm not as bad as David. But is, that, is that the point? Because... David's called a man after God's own heart and I'm a little bit amazed as to why and as to how he can still be called that. So how can, how can this be? How can it be? And if indeed it can be, then like what awesome hope is there for all of us, all right, to be called into following after God's good, good heart? All right, what great news this is. See, the key to having this heart after God's heart is the obedience thing, all right? As, as we can see, uh, in, if we go back to 1 Samuel, when 
Samuel's confronting Saul about that unauthorised offering that he, he offered up. Samuel says to Saul, he said, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And this is pulled apart even a little bit further when, um, when Paul, who was Saul, uh, is at the uh, synagogue in Antioch and it sort of comes up to prayer and share time. And, Saul, and Paul stands up, Saul stands up, it's a Dr. Seuss book with Saul's and Paul's. Paul stands up and he's, he says uh, in um, Acts 13, he gives, oh, he gives him a bit of a brief history of the, you know, the history of Israel. And after Judges and Samuel, he says, uh, then they, so this is the people, they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will of this man's offering God has brought to Israel a saviour Jesus as he promised so here's that commendation from God of David's heart that he's done what God wants him to do always and because of that he's established David's family as the line then that Jesus will come through not Saul's okay so what is the point of looking at this spectacular fall of David alongside this great commendation. What's, what's the point? Like, why is the, story, why is the story of this fall here? We talked about it in the intro, like, why is it here? Like, why, why, what, why record a story so bad of a man, like, if you're a God, why record a story of a man that stuffed up so bad that you then plan on bringing you're bringing yourself into the world through. Why do that? All right? Yeah, like if, if, like doesn't that muddy God's reputation? See, for an impersonal and an unrelated God who just didn't really care, who said, Oi, you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps to meet my standards. You, just try hard. You, you just do better. You know, for a God that does that, that, that would imply that he's sort of, that, that would muddy his reputation. Except, except, God is really, really, really concerned with our situation. Really, like really, really concerned, okay? David, David's just a human, David's got a fallen, broken, busted nature like you and like you, like you, like you, like you, like me, all right? And I'm sure we can see our broken ways in David heaps, like we might not go to the same lengths, but we can definitely see lust and hate in our lives, can't we? And even if you have slept with someone that's not your spouse, even if you have tried to cover it up, even if you have murdered someone, then this is even even more good news for you 
even more because it doesn't, redeem, it doesn't rule you out as unredeemable. It becomes more relatable to you. Does that make sense? Because regardless of our history, like there is forgiveness for all of us. There is forgiveness and grace. And like when we repent truly of our stuff-ups with a broken and honest heart before God, you know, there, there, is, there is grace and forgiveness there. And I was talking with Lukey about this through the week, like genuine, uh, full heart repentance is such a hard thing to describe what it looks like. Like, who can tell me what that looks like? If you look on the outside, what does genuine full heart repentance look like? You can't explain it until you go through it or until you know it, until you understand it. It's like, and from, like from my personal kind of experience, the only way I can sort of, sort of describe it is that it's this like really deep kind of just craving to be made right. Like a real deep craving to be made right. And for me, it comes out in my car, like if I know, like I, a lot of this time, yeah, I probably have fake repent, like inauthentic repentance a lot of the time, but I know when it's being genuine because it's normally when I'm driving along and I'm screaming in the car. I'm usually screaming at God just to make me right. I'm screaming in, in that I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. You know, like it's, it's this real sort of outcoming of emotion, which you can see in David in verse, in, um, you know, in Psalm 51 around this. We can see, and like Rick was talking about this repentance thing like a few weeks ago, like in, in the sharing Sunday. So we can sort of have a little bit of an idea what it looks like when we compare Saul and we compare David. See, Saul is uh, not a man after God's own heart. And when Samuel confronts him about, you know, keeping all the Amalekites' awesome, good livestock, keeping Agag, the king, alive, when Samuel comes and confronts him about that, what does Saul do? Saul says, uh, the people kept these guys for a sacrifice. The people. That's what he says. He says, the people did this. So instead of him being the king and actually saying, well, look, you know, like the buck stops with me, points the finger to the people kept it because they wanted to make a sacrifice. This is kind of like the politician apology, you know, the politicians who called embezzling cash or something, or the thugby league player who's, who's found bashing up his girlfriend or like peeing in some carpet of some motel lobby or something like, or drink driving or something. It's like the, oh, okay, I'm sorry I was caught. I'm sorry you were offended. I'm sorry she was hurt so bad. I'm sorry you. I'm sorry she. I'm sorry they. All right? It's not I'm sorry I. It's not. That's the, that's the problem here with Saul. Not being a man after God's own heart. Contrast that though with David, chapter 12. So we go 2 uh, Samuel chapter 12 and we jump in. After it happened, when Nathan the prophet confronts David, he blows the lid off David's secret, puts his big flashing neon sign over it and says, you did this. You stole this sheep from the poor man in that image. David's then crushed, crushed under the weight of that. 
when he's confronted with his sin. And like you can see, as Luke said, we have this uh, like actual factual understanding of what, how the story laid out. But then we see this like emotional laying out of what it looks like when we read David in the Psalms. And we read Psalm 41 and David is a mess. He's just like, have mercy on me, O God. Like, against you only have I sinned. I, I've done what's evil in your sight. Wash me. Wash me. Please, wash me. Clean out, clean out my heart. Clean it. Don't, please don't take your spirit from me. Please. Just give me, please just give me back that joy of knowing you save me. Like, take this guilty feeling away from me. Take it away. Like that's, that's the heart, that's the true heart that comes out in Psalm 51. That's the truly repentant heart that we see here. He clearly sees all those hurt people that he's just dragged into the mess with him. And then ultimately he sees, as he says to Nathan, he says, Oh, I've sinned against God. I, I have sinned against God. Against God only have I sinned. See, truly, true repentance just looks like that. It sort of comes out of like a real searching and a thirsting and a craving for God. Like a, a, a heart after God's will seek God first above anything, even above its own sort of default fleshy nature that it wants to revert, that the flesh wants to revert back to. But the heart, the new heart after God's heart will be searching for Him. So anyway, I hope that made sense. And I'm so thankful for God for just not recording like just the great things of these people, but the messy lives as well, the messy lives of these hero David. But then also, when you see someone who has stuffed up so bad and they have repented in such a true way, I am so, this is the real bit I'm thankful for, I am so thankful for God actually showing and proving that that he he is right with that person who is who has such a has such a heart change by sealing his forgiveness and, and grace towards them and you know how he proves it by coming through the through into the world through the family line of who David and Bathsheba Jesus comes into the world through these guys like something that was so ugly and disgusting at the start and full heart repentance, just God just forgives, makes right. What a great God we serve who knows our shortcomings, our weaknesses. You know, He came into this broken, messy world and then rose up out of it, taking all of that with Him and, and now calls us, calls us to be made right with him, in line with his good heart, through genuine, real obedience and repentance, to, just to live a life without condemnation.